Revelations 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. In Romans 8, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song He's our good, good father, then we are his loved children. That's uh, a great truth for us to grasp uh, this morning and every day. A few announcements. Next week, we're planning an, a baptism. So if there's anybody that uh, would like to be baptized, uh, let one of the elders know. There's a baptism plan next week. Awana and youth group were finished last week. So I'm just curious uh, to see a show of hands. Could everybody that was involved in Awana or youth group this past year raise your hand nice and high? It's not for taking credit. It's for just kind of seeing how the, the body of Christ here has been involved in building up our young people. And, and we really appreciate that and are thankful to God for his help through this last season. The men's and women's Bible studies will continue through the summer. And I do believe there will also be a, a shorter program uh, later in June uh, as well on Wednesday nights. So uh, you can keep, keep a spot marked on your calendar. I do, the, we are planning to do, start the women's and men's Bible studies at 6 p.m. instead of 6.30, though. So if you're involved in those or want to be involved in those, uh, new people are welcome at all times for that. Also, today... Um, Kind of a, a bittersweet announcement, <laughs> Jake and Katie Markward, this is their last Sunday with us, so I would like to ask them, and I asked Jake ahead of time, but I don't know if he told you, Katie, <laughs> that I was going to see if your family could come up and we could pray um, for you guys, and maybe the rest of the elders want to come up as well. Jake and Katie, how long have you been coming to Creekside? over six years. Okay. And so they're moving to Tennessee, somewhere in the neighborhood of Nashville, uh, taking their family with them. And they'll be greatly missed because they've been greatly involved. And so we're thankful for you guys and want to just commit you to God. Father, thank you that you are a good, good father. And thank you for Jake and Katie and for the way you've used them here at Creekside and in this community. And I just pray that uh, they would feel your presence with you. We know that you're going with them to Tennessee and we'll miss them and uh, I just pray that they would have a, a strong sense of your leading and your presence with them and that you would help them get settled in there uh, just continue to bless their family and make them a blessing and we just uh, commit them to you and to the word of your grace in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. <laughs> Thanks, 
that's just applause and recognition of thanking you for your service and involvement here. <laughs> okay. So today we're taking a little break. One more break from our Matthew series. We've been in Matthew for about uh, two, two and a half years now. So we have about four verses left. And so we wanted to keep you in suspense um, one more week before we finish the book of Matthew. Um, and actually, the last few verses in Matthew, personally, I think, are, are some of the, the more powerful and maybe, maybe a core verse or core verses in the book of Matthew um, that shed light on the whole rest of the book. So I really would encourage you to be here next week to hear Steve uh, finish that off strong. We're looking, looking forward to that. And then today, I am filling in, and I want to talk from Romans chapter 8 about living in the power of the Spirit of God. We sang that we are children of God, and uh, we're dwelt with the Spirit of God if we're believers, and that is a power for our lives from day to day, and it sets us free from the power of sin in our lives. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to, as much as I ever can look forward to getting up and talking publicly, I'm looking forward to talking through this chapter with you today. Uh, let's just look to God again uh, for his grace and his help and his leading of his spirit. Father, thank you this morning that we can stand before you as your children, that we can open your word that you've given to us, and that we can learn from it. I just pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would lead in each hearer here this morning by your spirit. Um, that we would learn what it is to walk according to the Spirit this morning. And just thank you that you are sanctifying us, that you are making us more and more like your Son, the Lord Jesus, that I just pray uh, that that would continue to become more and more evident to those around us as well. And that we would have the peace and the joy that comes with that. I want to lift up our sister Christine Nicewarner too for her surgery coming up. This week, pray that you would just give her a sense of peace, give the surgeons skill and wisdom, and just pray for success and healing in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess that's another prayer request too. Christina's having uh, surgery this week, so lift her up in, in your prayers. So Romans chapter 8 is where we'll be, and we'll be in the first 17 verses. We often say, somebody from up here often will say, you know, we are saved in Jesus. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the power of sin. And we will one day be saved from the presence of sin. And there's kind of a progression there that, that is good to know as a believer in the Lord Jesus, that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. If we put our faith in him as our savior, the penalty of our sins is taken care of. It's gone. We're not going to address that with God, the payment for our own sins. Jesus has done that. But then there's that statement that he delivers us from the power of sin. And basically what we're saying when we say that is as we go through this life, we are no longer slaves, not just to fear, but we're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin because God has given us a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He's given us a new life, too. We're born again. And so we can walk in freedom from sin, and we view sin in a different way. One day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. You know, later in Romans 8, we're not probably going to get to it today, but uh, Paul talks about the fact that we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And part of that is when we are either taken up to heaven or we die and we're raised from the grave, God is going to give us a changed spiritual body. And I can't give you all the details. I just know it's good. Um, we're going to have a body that's free from the presence of sin. We're not going to have these desires in us that we sometimes give into. So today we're going to talk about the power being, learning freedom from the power of sin in our lives. So let's just go ahead and read, well, before we read chapter 8, I just want to talk a little bit because 
Romans 8 kind of comes in the context of the whole book of Romans. So um, I'll, I'll try to be really brief about this, but I do kind of want to step us through the book of Romans and the things that we learn uh, from Paul's exposition of the gospel in the book of Romans. In chapter 1, we learn that everybody in the whole world is given the testimony of God's creation. We can see things that he's created all around us, in the skies, below the surface of the ground, in our own bodies. We can look and we can see, chapter 1 says, we can see the eternal power and divine wisdom of God in creation. But the problem is that people that saw that testimony, instead of worshiping God and instead of acknowledging God and instead of um, giving him thanks, they gave him up. And they looked at creation itself and they worshiped creation, including their own selves. And so then as a result, God's wrath is displayed towards them and he gives them up to receive what they want. Not a good condition. And chapter 2 takes up the, uh, another group of people that received the law of God, where God told them, here's what I want you to do. Here's the things, here's the kind of behavior that fits with what my character is. So those people, by and large, uh, they, they got the law of God, and they looked at it, and they looked at their brother or their sister, and they said, you're not doing it. You're not doing a very good job. And so they used the law and applied it to others. Well, they themselves weren't keeping it. Okay, and then when Jesus came and he talked about the law, he kind of went through it and, and he made it a little deeper. He said, well, uh, the law said don't murder, but you think just because you haven't physically killed somebody that you're good. But I'm, I'm saying that if you get angry with somebody or you hate somebody, that you're a murderer in your heart. The law said don't commit adultery. I say if you look at somebody with lust, that you're guilty of adultery in your heart. So Jesus took it a little deeper and a little more pointed, and he turned it toward us. But the problem is we couldn't keep that either. And so there's a group of people that just had creation to look at, and they didn't worship God. There's people who were given the law, and they didn't obey God. There's a few people, quite a few people, that actually believed God, though. We're told about Abraham, we're told about David, uh, Moses. And so there are people who were justified, but Paul says that they were justified by faith. But chapter 3, actually I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, aren't I? So chapter 3 concludes us all in this condition of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's how we're born into this world, as sinners. Um, that's kind of our nature. It's in our nature. And, and, and what we're going to see here is a, a word, the flesh. Sometimes it's called the sinful nature. But we have something in us that's motivated to sin against God. And that's the case of all of us. And we couldn't keep the law. So God displayed righteousness for us and in us in a different way, and that's by faith. And he backed that up with the blood of his son, Jesus, on the cross. So now we can receive the grace of God, and grace is a free gift, and, it, and the more I've read about grace in the Bible, I see, you know, it, it is God's favor shown to me when I don't deserve it, but it's shown in many ways, and one of the ways is that I don't receive the penalty for my sin. Another way is that it teaches me how to live right. And it gives me his power. And one person, well, more than one person, some people have defined grace as God's divine empowerment. And so God gives us power to live in a way that looks, makes us look like his kids. That's what he wants, to be his children. So Romans 3 talks about that and how that God... Raised, he gave us Christ to be a payment for our, for our sins, and he gave us his grace as a free gift. Chapter 4, this is where I jumped ahead of myself a little bit, talks about some people who, before the law came even, 
put their faith in God. Abraham being a notable example. God said, you're going to have a son. Abraham was really old. He was too old to have kids. But he trusted God and he believed God. And so then God gave him a son. And then God said, well, offer your son up on an altar for me. And God and Abraham, we're told in Hebrews, believed that if he offered this promised son up to God and killed him, that God would raise him from the dead. That's faith. That's what faith is. It believes that God means what he says. And so God says the just are just are living by faith. And by faith we are justified. So apart from the law, which depends on me doing things in my own strength and being good, God gives us righteousness. And he talks about that through faith in chapter 4 of Romans. Then chapter 5, he talks about how uh, people who are justified by faith have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. So the grace that saves us gives us the ability to stand. And we also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So God has shown us that there is something better coming. We look around this world in chapter 8. Again, I would encourage you to read the second half of the chapter too when you get home. There is a good reason for us to be joyful and hopeful and have peace in this life if we have our trust in Jesus. So we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Then chapter 6 goes into the fact that people who are justified have a new relationship with sin and righteousness. Okay, so sin was kind of basically who I was before I came to trust in Jesus, before I received the Spirit of God. And before I was born again, sin was just an integral motivator for me. And now that I'm justified by faith, I view sin as part of my old life. And I view sin as slavery and death, because it really is. The wages of sin is death, and and the hold that sin has on us is slavery and will bring us into misery. And so a justified person views sin as slavery and it views righteousness as freedom, which leads uh, to sanctification, which is a big word. <laughs> and sanctified means that, that we're set aside and we're set apart specifically for God and we're made according to his character. And that's something, you know, a saint is a sanctified person. When we get saved, we're called a saint. But then throughout our life, we, as we live under the power of the Spirit that we're going to talk about today, we become more and more like Jesus. And we look more and more different in our character. And so that is a process, we say often. It's a process, and the, the Bible refers to us as being sanctified. We're in that growing process of becoming more like Jesus. And the end of chapter 6, it says, uh, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. And so that's, that's our destiny. And I, I like the way that Alistair Begg put it, I was reading in his devotional, he says, it is perilous and unnecessary to remain wicked. (laughs) I thought that was a good, concise way to put it. It's perilous, it's bad for us, it's dangerous, and it's not necessary either. We don't have to stay wicked. That's why Jesus died for us. That's why he's given us his spirit to dwell in us. Okay, so then chapter 7 comes, and there's this uh, kind of a, a struggle that comes up, because now... We have, um, this, this new struggle, you know, when, when we're born into this world, we have a sinful nature that delights to sin. It loves to do what's wrong. When God says this is wrong, we're just drawn to it. Well, when God gives us his spirit, Ephesians one says that when we trusted in him and received the gospel, he gave us his spirit. Now there's some conflicting interests inside of us, right? We've got the Spirit of God, and we've got this sinful nature that has desires that are opposed to God. And so 
this, these few verses from Romans 7, I just wanted to read them to you. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You feel that tension? Have you ever felt that tension in your life? Maybe this morning? I don't want to do that but I feel drawn to it. And so there's this conflict. And there's, there's some, you know, uh, debate among scholars, like, does this apply to a real Christian or not? And I think in the placement of it, I'm convinced that it does. And also in the experiences I've had in my own life as a believer in Jesus, this conflict arises in me. And sometimes it gets the best of me. I'm doing what I don't want to do. Okay, so now... Paul takes us to chapter 8. And so we're going to read the first 17 verses. And I think this is a little bit of the answer to that conflict and that struggle that is laid out here in chapter 7. And if you're a note taker, then now we're actually getting to the notes. So sorry, that that was uh, a little on the long side. And here, here I, I drew you a little picture of us, okay? So as a person, we have this mind. The gray part represents us as nature, our nature. It's opposed to God, but then when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus and receive him as our Savior, confess him as Lord, and believe that God has raised him from the dead, we receive the Spirit of God. And so there's a new motivating power. It's God himself dwelling in us, and there comes conflict into our lives as this battle between sin and righteousness uh, takes place. And so chapter 8, verse 1, starts out with an encouraging comment. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See the two laws, one the spirit, life, and one is sin and death. For God, verse 3, has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so there's a lot in there. There's also, I think, different ways that Paul restates the same thing. But there's kind of four things that I want to talk today about from this passage. The first is, what are the things that are true of us? And when I say us, I mean those who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus to be our Savior and have, as a result, received the Spirit of God. Um, I also want to talk, there's, there's several kind of what I would consider big ifs in this passage. And so I would like us to stop and take note because where there's an if, we should notice and ask ourselves, is this true of me? And so there's some incentives in the ifs and there's some warnings in the ifs, I believe. Okay, third, we have a new identity and you heard that in the song that we sang just before I came up. And it's, it comes from this verse. We're not, we're not slaves to fear and sin, but we're children of God. And we also have a new power to overcome that battle, in, to win in that battle that we talked about from Romans chapter 7. So uh, what's true of us? The big ifs, the new identity, and the new power. We're going to talk about those things here in this chapter. So, first of all, the first thing that I noticed that is true is there's no condemnation anymore. And that's as we mentioned before, because as we stand under the blood of Jesus, Jesus' payment for sin was made for us. It wasn't made for him, it was made for me. And so, as I stand in faith under the offering of Jesus. I'm not condemned before God. I know that God has placed all my condemnation on Jesus. Uh, I believe it's in Colossians. talks about it's nailed to the cross. So, I stand up here with no condemnation before God. And that, that's, a, that's a blessing that we can't estimate. And that's a blessing that belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. Second, we are free from sin and death. We see that in verse 2. <clears throat> sin and death had a hold on us. We were slaves. Now we're free. And sin does lead to death. You know, there is an attraction to sin, but in the end, if we think through it and we look back at how things go in our lives, it brings us deeper and deeper into slavery. And so God doesn't intend for us to live that way as his children. <clears throat> so he's given us this freedom and set us free in Jesus Christ. The third thing is that we meet the righteous requirement of the law. We meet the righteous requirement of the law. And that, that is very remarkable. Because for thousands of years, people tried to meet the righteous requirement of the law. And then Paul tells us in Romans, well, the problem's not the law. The law is good. The problem is it depends on you. It depends on your fleshly, sinful nature. And so you're never going to make it. But Paul says, if, and this is going to be in our, our big ifs, but if we're setting our mind on the things of the Spirit rather than the things of our sinful nature then we are going to feel that freedom. We're going to experience that freedom in our day-to-day -day life. And so what you see in chapter 8 is our minds are mentioned here. And before, our minds didn't really have complete control. Our sinful desires influenced our minds and took over. Now, with the Spirit of Christ, we have the ability as children of God, with our minds to decide, am I going to serve the Spirit of God who lives in me and who empowers and who motivates me, or am I going to serve my sinful nature? And in several translations, it's referred to as flesh. Some it refers to sinful nature. There may be, uh, there's old man referred to sometimes. And I think in general, what it's referring to is the fact that we are, uh, we have five senses that we 
tend to live by. You know, how does it feel to me? How does it taste to me? How does it look to me? How does it sound to me? Did I get all five of them? I'm not sure. But <laughs> we are natural, sensual people. And so we can make decisions. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have another serving. Or I'm going to look at this that I know I shouldn't look at. Or I'm going to do this to make myself look better. And the Apostle John in his epistle refers to the things that are in this world. He sums them all up in three things. He says it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what feels good, what looks good, and what makes me feel good about myself. That's all that motivates this world. And that all comes to bear on us in our flesh and our, our, when we're naturally driven by our senses to make us choose sin. That's what, that's what Satan came to Eve with in the Garden of Eden. He said, look at this fruit. It's good. It looks good. It tastes good. And not only that, but it's going to make you smart. It's going to make you wise, and God doesn't want you wise because then you won't need him. Okay, so he appealed to their sinful, fleshful, fleshly nature. And so when faith comes in, we start living for things that we can't see, right? Things that are in heaven, things that are future. Not the present, not this world that's around us, but for that coming day and for our Father and for our Savior and following the motivations of that Spirit that lives inside of us now. So we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And that, that's, I think, you know, I just get used to saying that. The Spirit of God lives in me. That, that's kind of overwhelming. The Spirit of God, that's one of the persons of the Trinity of God. And we're indwelt by that power. That's, a, that's an important thing. When we want to live by the Spirit to remember that that's true. And then it says there's this kind of future tense thing that... Uh, is referred to in verse 11. It says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's, a, that's the kind of power that this spirit has. He rose, raised Jesus from the dead. And it lives in us. And it will give life to our mortal bodies. So there is coming a day when these mortal bodies, which means subject to death, are going to be raised. And they're not going to be mortal anymore. And they're not going to have a sinful fleshly nature anymore. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 refers to it as a spiritual body, I think because it's going to be motivated by spiritual things rather than by our sinful flesh. So when we talk about being free from the presence of sin, that's, a, that's something that we all look forward to is we're not going to have these temptations. There's not going to be anything inside of me to respond to them because the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise me from the dead and change my body. And I look forward to that day. So, but I said there are some big ifs. And um, so I, I put the little picture back up there because on the left, there's, there's us in our natural state. On the right, there's us with the spirit of God in us. And so some of these ifs are talking about what life is like when we're setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. But some of them are a little bit warnings because Jesus told us, and we see in other places too, that not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is a true child of God. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is really a believer in the Lord Jesus. And, and some of these things kind of put a little test to us. So you say that you have faith in God. Do you trust what he says? Do you trust who he is? Does your life reflect the values that he gives you? And so we get some of these ifs. So the first one here, um, it says, we meet the righteous requirement of the law if we set our mind on the spirit and not live according to our sinful nature or our flesh. Okay, so then this... <clears throat> means that the outcome of our life can be righteousness. And that's a, that's a glorious thought for believers because we can get stuck in that struggle of Romans 7 
and believe, oh, wretched person that I am. Who's going to get me out of here? Well, it's followed up. I don't know if I read that or not, but it says, thanks be to God. So we don't want to live in that, do we? We don't, we don't like the, the guilt. We don't like the outcome of our sin. Um, but sometimes that struggle gets the best of us. But here it says it doesn't have to get the best of us if we set our mind on the Spirit. So we need our minds renewed, and we can renew it. We'll, we'll talk a little bit um, in a few minutes about ways that we can do this practically, so I won't jump to that quite yet. But the next thing is, if we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to Christ. That's from verse 9. So this kind of stuck out to me too, because sometimes... We often use this statement, yeah, I belong to Jesus, or he belongs to Jesus, or she belongs to Jesus, but have you ever thought what that means to belong to somebody? It means they own you. And so, you know, we can ask ourselves, I can ask myself, when, when's the last time that I took into consideration what God wants me to do with my day? Do I really belong to him? If, I'm, if I really think I'm making my own decisions each day and I don't have to consult him and I don't have to think about what he wants in my life? So that there's a little question there for us to ask. Do I live like I belong to Christ? I like to say, yes, I belong to Jesus. I, maybe I prayed a prayer or maybe I signed a card at some point to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Do I belong to him? If I do, the Spirit of God will be dwelling in me. And there's going to be, at a minimum, there's going to be a struggle with sin. <clears throat> and ideally, there's a victory over sin. So, if we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to Christ. It says, you will live if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. And I think that here in verse 13, what's referred to is living the abundant life. Jesus came, said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus brings us life that's abundant, full, good, blessed. Not a life without troubles, but a life that is abundant and reflects freedom from sin and the fact that we're children of God. And so, setting our mind on the spirit and putting to death the deeds of the body or that sinful nature is the way for us to live the abundant life that Jesus promised that he came to give us. And so it's a good life. Um, the next if there says you will die if you live according to the flesh. So just kind of the flip side of what we said before. Living by the spirit gives us life joy, happiness. We feel alive as believers. We live by the flesh. We give in to those sinful desires. We set our mind on the things that we can see around us here and the influences of this world, and we experience what feels like death. It's very discouraging, and it brings us um, into depression and all kinds of bad results in our life. So finally, you cannot please God if you are in the flesh. That's one of the things that was proven in, in 4,000 years of human history where the law that was given to Moses, those Ten Commandments and all, of the, all, all the ordinances that go with them were given to human beings and they said, yes, we're going to do it. We can do this. And God said, okay, let's see. And they couldn't. They couldn't. And we still can't by our own strength. So that's why God has given us the Spirit. So without the Spirit of God, without salvation, we cannot please God. Okay, so we are going to move on to the next section. I don't know if this, can you bring up that next slide, Chad? Okay. Now this, this says, how do we set our mind on the things of the Spirit. So 
there's a little, a, a little challenge in having a, a section like this, right? Where I'm up here <laughs> talking to you about how do you have your mind set on the things of the Spirit? Because some of you might be thinking, yeah, I, I know you. I mean, Colin, maybe he's, he's uh, busy back there or something. And Debbie's teaching Sunday school, so like my closest family members. But you might be saying, well, you're not all, you're not all that, you know. What I read about the fruit of the Spirit, I don't see that in you all the time. Um, so, I say this from a position where I've fought the fight. I've been in Romans 7. I've won sometimes. <laughs> I've lost sometimes. There are some areas of life that I have made some more progress than I have in others. Um, so, I am telling you the things that in my practical experience line up with what I'm reading here in Romans and in other places in the, in the scriptures. And I hope that they can be a help to you in the way that they've been a help to me. And so as part of that, I'm, I'm going to give a, a testimony about a couple things in my life. Um, not because I matter, but because the Spirit of God matters. So for, for the majority of my life, I, you know, Jesus said, don't commit adultery. But if you look at a woman to lust after her, you committed adultery in your heart. Well, I looked. I looked at things I shouldn't have looked at. And I fought with it. And I wept over it. And I sought God's help over it. And I would win for periods of time. And I'd lose again. Well, Today, I feel like I'm not scared of that anymore. I don't have a fear of that anymore. Now, I say that knowing that I'm still susceptible to it. I still have that sinful nature, but I feel deliverance from that. That's, that's the, happiest, the happiest feeling I've experienced in my life. I've had a lot of happy things, but that's the happiest. That's the best. Now, there's something a little more nefarious that I deal with and I'm struggling with well, that's my pride you know and, and honestly that's a little easier to talk to you guys about because people don't react to pride quite the same they do to lust a lot of times I'm not sure why but God God is pretty uh, pretty strong that pride you know Proverbs 6 says six things I hate seven are detestable to me What's the first thing he mentions? A haughty look. <laughs> oh boy, I can do haughty looks. I can. Um, I think, you know, not to tell on Anne, but one of her friends in high school, like she, she told Anne, Bob just makes you feel like you're so small. Oh, what? how terrible is that? <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Okay, so, so I did it well just from even from a child. And so that's a, that's a battle that I'm still fighting. And that's a battle that I've, I've gained some ground in and then I lose some ground in. And it shows up in a lot of different ways. You know, um, if, if you question my character, there's going to be this huge fire that flames up inside of me. I might keep it inside a little bit, but I'm going to be mad. Okay, you might not see it, but I'm going to be mad. And that just comes directly from pride which is a stronghold of sin in my life. So trying to apply things that I've learned to battles that are to come. So let's, let's go through this and, and we'll try to make it somewhat quick and quite somewhat useful. I put some references on here so you can look up the scriptures yourself. They're on the handout in the bulletin. But first of all, we need to recognize God and his reward. Hebrews 11 says... He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So Romans 1 says the wrath of God was displayed because they didn't recognize God as God and they didn't give him thanks. So they didn't believe that what he gives is good. So to set our mind on the things of the spirit, we need to acknowledge God for who he is. He's the creator of us. 
He has a right over us. He's also the supreme. He's supreme over everything. So he has the right. He has the authority. He has the ability. And he does control everything. We need to acknowledge that we have a God. Second, he's a rewarder. He's good. We sang that this morning. He's a good, good father. And when we seek what he tells us to seek, we're going we're gonna to get something good. We are. And, it, and it'll happen in this life. It's also going to happen for eternity. And the more we experience it, the more we realize it's true. That what God is offering us is not, oh, I just want them to have a fun-free life. You know, that's how, that's how the law can read to us when we are in our natural state. Oh, God just doesn't want us to have any fun here. No, that's not true. The law leads to death, and it leads to a lack of joy in this life and in the life to come. So God is a rewarder. He's the creator, as we said. He has rights. He is also the source of grace. And we had that in chapter 5, that through the blood of Jesus, we have access into the grace of God. God's power is at our disposal, if you will. So we have access into grace. And also, God is one to whom we need to confess our sins and repent before him. 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So as we, as we think through who God is, what he owes us, or what we owe him, sorry, <laughs> and we think through what he gives us, his reward, and consider it good, I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis that I think is a, is a good perspective for us to think about. C.S. Lewis said, wrote, Our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud piles in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We can get pleased. We can look at the, the things that we can see around us and think, ah, that looks good. I want that. I'll feel good. I'll taste good, smell good, sound good. That's what I want. Now, God's got a reward. He's got better things for us. So, second, remember Jesus' cross. So, as we said before, there are, the guilt of our sins is covered. So, as we go through this life as a believer in Jesus and we fall, we give in to those sinful desires, we need to realize that Jesus paid it all. We don't carry that guilt. Jesus carried that guilt. And so as we look on the cross, we can see our sins there. We see the penalty of our sins nailed to the cross with Jesus. And God poured out his punishment there on Jesus. Because when we fail, when we sin, we can get into a cycle of guilt and depression that we, we have a hard time lifting ourselves out of because we can't lift ourselves out of. But we need to understand that the guilt of that sin has been covered by Jesus' cross. We also see, uh, if you go back and look at Romans 6, that death to sin took place on the cross as well. So this, this nature of sin that we have is something that we should consider dead because God considered it dead. It will never please him. And so it helps us with our guilt and it helps us with expectations. Nothing good's going to come out of that. And so one of the very practical things that I received help in a brother Norb was uh, gave me this thought that he had gotten from someone else. You know, when, when you have this uh, direction to go into sin, you need to have a roadblock. It's like you're driving down the interstate and you don't even pay attention to that exit anymore. And so we can do things with our behaviors and our thoughts and let our thoughts go places that we know are going to lead us where we shouldn't go. So just very practical 
example for that. If I read the news on the internet, along the bottom, along the side, there's all kinds of interesting little stories or, you know, see uh, 10 pictures from the 60s or something and, and I know that those are going to lead me where I shouldn't go. So now I have a roadblock there. Is it down there? Is it over here? I'm not looking at it, okay? Step one might be relatively harmless, but I know step two is going to be off that exit. So death to sin involves us telling ourselves there are areas that I'm not going to go. I could get a little closer and maybe not sin, but I'm moving towards the wrong direction. Set a roadblock. Consider yourself dead. And remember, as we look at the cross of Jesus and see his suffering, the misery that is the result of sin. Next, rely on the Holy Spirit. We have God living in us. So Monday on my way to work, I'm driving down uh, Highway 5, and I come up behind this car that's, you know, going too slow. They're probably, like, going the speed limit or something. So I pulled out, you know, and you can go, when you're passing, you can go a little faster, right? So I pulled out to pass this car, and I'm, you know, inching my way past. It's a very beautiful blue Mustang. And it's like, that's cool. Maybe they're afraid they'll get pulled over if they're going just a little bit too fast. As I'm passing them, this car comes flying up behind me. And so when that happens, I know I better get back over in the right lane. So I'm pulling ahead and I look and I see a black convertible Mustang. So there's two Mustangs beside me. I pull over, the black one just disappears into the horizon. And then I was remembering uh, somebody telling me about their neighbor. They have a one, one in uh, the, the one of its kind Mustang parked in their garage. And I guess it's, it's manufactured similar, but it's got a unique paint job that was maybe done special order for one of the Shelby family. And so there's no other car like it. And this guy doesn't drive that other than like he pulls out the driveway, pulls out the garage, cleans it up, pulls it back in. Maybe on a nice day, we'll drive it slowly around the block. Maybe take it to a car show. All of these Mustangs had, I'm going to say, about the same engine. And I looked up, you know, maybe between 300 and 450 horsepower. Those things can move. They can. And one uses that engine to go in and out of the garage. The other engine, the other one uses it to get to work when they need to get to work. And the other one uses it as a competitive advantage to pass everybody on the highway. Okay, so we have the Spirit of God. How are we using the Spirit of God? Is it to drag ourselves out of bed to get to church and do our, our weekly duty and shine ourselves up a little bit to look like a good Christian? Is it daily dependence on Him to live life without, you know, messing up too bad? Or are we using the Spirit of God as a competitive advantage in this battle that we're in to storm, if you will, storm the gates of hell? So that leads to the next thing is realize that it's a war. Um, we need to realize that we are in a war. I was thinking about World War II. You know, when Germany and Italy and Japan were advancing on the world, there were nations that just essentially surrendered because it seemed easier. Well, then they were occupied, and it wasn't easier. People were hauled off to concentration camps, to labor camps. They surrendered. There were other nations like England, you know, led by Winston Churchill, who fought and fought and fought the fight and stayed that force of evil in the world. There were countries like the United States of America who said, not my fight, and then got bombed at Pearl Harbor and realized it is my fight. We're in a war, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Sin is at the door. And so we need to have our recognition that we are in a war. And we need to use the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth. Read our Bibles. Pray. Preach the gospel to ourselves out loud. And know we're in a very unique war because the victory is imminent. 
if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, victory is imminent. In the end, we are going to be with and like our Savior, and we're going to be holy, and we can fight from that position. Not that we have to secure our salvation, but that we are going to live out our salvation and experience the reward of God in this life in addition to eternity. And then finally, rally the troops. So God has given us each other. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need each other. And uh, James 5, I'll I'll put these verses up there for the sake of time. I may not read them, but uh, James 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. We need each other, and we need to confess our sins to each other. That was a, a great help to me. I, I fought and I struggled for years and years and decades with that sin of lust. But one day, Debbie asked me, now I've, I've heard all these testimonies from men, do you struggle with this? And I said, yes. And then here, here's a, a word to all of us too, is that if somebody comes to you confessing sin, there's two dangers. One is that we say, oh, I can't believe you did that. That's terrible. Really? You did that and you say you're a Christian? That's not... You can see that in uh, Galatians 6, in the spirit of gentleness, and um, in 1 Corinthians 10 there, it says, lest let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We need to have that awareness and that will keep us humble. On the other hand, we can say, oh yeah, we all do that, don't we? That's just, that's okay. Don't get worried about it. We all have a problem with sin. That, that's not helpful either. We need to help each other out of this, friends. And so get accountability and give accountability. Seek out a spiritual person who, as Galatians, 1, uh, Galatians 6 says, can help us to be restored. So I want to read a song. And it, it's a song that I don't think we've sung before, so I didn't want to drop it on, on Amy, but I'll read it to you in closing. It says, it's called, O Church Arise. Uh, It says, O church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Our call to war, to love the captive soul but rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure, and Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet as the Son of God is stricken. Then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen. And as the stone is rolled away and Christ emerges from the grave, the victory march continues till the day. Every eye and heart shall see him. So, Spirit, come put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. So we're going to, the band is going to come play a couple more songs and we'll come take communion, uh, take the bread, take the juice. Um, For those who have put your trust in the Lord Jesus, this is a reminder for us of the work of Jesus on the cross, his body given for us, his blood shed for us, and we will just give thanks for that now um, before we do that. Lord Jesus, thank you for your cross. Thank you for the victory that you have won and that that victory is ours. And I just pray that as we go out of here with your spirit indwelling us, that we would live in victory, the victory that you've won for us. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you 
for your church. And we just uh, commit this day to you in Jesus' name.